This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelter. Well, we've got our two teams for the Super Bowl, and it doesn't come without controversy, Dave. A lot of people taking heat in light of yesterday's games. Decisions made, decisions not made, and a man who can answer some questions for us when it comes to fourth down. Should you go for it? Should you not? Seth Walder, of ESPN analytics writer, is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Seth, how are you, man? I'm great. How are you? Good. I would imagine your your phone's blowing up. People are following your Twitter feed. People demanding answers out of you. What was Dan Campbell thinking? Was he crazy, or was he was he following the, I guess the rules of analytics? What was your take on the, his decisions yesterday when it came to fourth down? Well, these were interesting decisions, and this might sound like an unsatisfying answer, but the reality of them is that both of the decisions that I think were controversial. So that was a fourth and two from the 49ers 28 halfway through the third quarter when the Lions were up 14. And then later in the fourth quarter, when the Lions were down three, four, three from the 30, both cases, he went for it instead of opting for a field goal attempt. In both cases, we considered that situation to be super close, uh, but slightly leaning toward going for it, which is what Campbell did. We gave these two situations were a 0.2 and a 0.3% uh, better in terms of going for it, in terms of their win probability. Uh, but this was really close. To me, I think what this is, if he had kicked in those situations, I would not have criticized that move. Uh, there's enough sort of factors outside the purview of a model that you could say, well, maybe that pushes it just enough. These were super close, so it's hard to get worked up about it. But I think that that same grace needs to be extended in, in, in this direction as well. Uh, you can't, I don't think that you could really criticize. And if anything, the biggest factor that we were missing was probably that they had a below average kicker. And so if anything, that should have put pushed toward, towards going for it uh, in both cases. Well, they, they also scored a touchdown on a fourth down, correct? So what, did, did that get factored in also? It's not that it's not that one fourth down where you score makes a, a difference in terms of like, what your likelihood of, of another time, uh, you know, converting or something like that. I mean, we have like a much larger sample, but what I will say is like Dan Campbell has operated this way for years. Uh, some people call it aggressive. I would call it optimal. He's one of the best game management coaches in the league and that increases his team's chance to win uh, the majority of the time. Just in terms of his success rate, I don't know if you've got his season numbers there when it when it comes to making fourth down decisions. But you know, in the conversation, it's it's generally assumed, hey, this is what allowed them to get to this point of the season. This is what got them to this game, and then to reverse course all of a sudden doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. But do you have any any feel for his his ultimate success level throughout the season when it came to these decisions? I don't have his numbers right in front of me, but I do know that he's, he's one of the best in terms of the closely, most closely aligns with our model. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I guess I would say, like, he made good decisions most of the time throughout the year. I think Dallas, the second two-point conversion against Dallas, which some people point, I mean, that was a huge error, and, like, everyone, I think, would agree with that, our, our model included. That was a, a massive error. But most of the time, he plays in a pretty optimal way. And, yeah, I mean – 
that helps them win. That helps them win throughout the regular season. And ultimately, I think, you know, if you're in this spot, you're trying to win the game, the only question, the only thing that matters is what gives us the best chance to win? And so I don't see any way how you can really critique that. I think these are decisions that could go either way. I think we lean slightly towards going for it. But, yeah, he showed, he showed that he – tries to play as optimally as possible most of the time. And so hard to fault him for continuing to do that when the lights are brightest. Hey, Seth, uh, tell us about just the NFL and their willingness to sort of accept the plunge into the, the metrics. Is that Have you found it to be, uh, the NFL just in general, to be resistant? Or, or do you think that, uh, that they're embracing it maybe slowly? Oh, they're definitely embracing it. I mean, sure, sure, as their resistance, no doubt about it. But if you look at the way that I, I love that, you know, we're having this fourth down conversation today, and it's it's great. And the thing is, though, is that over the last ten years, we have seen a dramatic shift in the way that teams operate on fourth down or um, or in two point conversion situations, and like that just shows you that teams are willing to embrace it because ultimately, what the goal is is to increase your chance to win. If you were a coach, how can you not be looking at that if, you're, if your goal is to win? And so, yeah, if we look at fourth downs, we see wildly different behavior than we did 10 years ago. If we look at the down eight, go for two scenario that's, that crops up a lot, like that's something that literally no one did from 2012 to 2017, and now teams do it all the time. So, uh, there's all sorts of other examples, playing more play action, more motion, more, uh, more passing. All of these things have shifted. And so while I agree that there is definitely some resistance and you can turn on your TV and you will see resistance, I think that the league's actions show a willingness to embrace that quantitative analysis can help you win more ball games. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, Seth, but do do most teams have a guy uh, that's that's a, a metrics guy, uh, or do, would you happen to know that information? I mean, you said they're yeah. embracing it. I'm just curious, like, how, are there any teams that just go, ah, I'm not, I'm not listening to this stuff? Well, what I will tell you is I do track analytics staffing across the NFL, and all 32 teams have. Uh, quantitative have analytics staffers, full-time analytics staffers. This, is, this was not always true. It wasn't always true when I started tracking staffing. Now, do they have someone, do they have an analytics person who's in the booth, who's directing or who's help advising on game management? That's a different story. I think when I surveyed teams uh, two years ago, I believe it was, um, and I want to say off the top of my head, it was like 60% of the teams I surveyed ha- had an analytics staffer in the booth. Even if you don't, that doesn't necessarily, and what it could be that you're just doing the work, uh, you know, beforehand. And then there's someone else who is helping to convey that information to the coach. So look, I think ultimately it comes down to different coaches are going to react in different ways when it comes to quantitative analysis for, for game management, but all 32 teams have, full-time analytics staffers. Seth, relative to, to baseball analytics, where do you think football analytics are in their development? I mean, because in my opinion, baseball still has some flaws within their analytics, especially when it comes to measuring defense and defensive zone ratings and all this stuff. It's it's subjective in my opinion. But as far as football goes, how, how far along do you feel it is or how, how even accurate is it when you don't know 
you know, who's responsible in these coverages, whose job it is to do this. We, we're never really certain what the rules are of certain teams. How, how, how do you feel like it applies there? Yeah, so I, I actually asked – I will lean on, on people in the league here because I asked this exact question uh, in 2022, I think. I asked people, what, how far behind is the average NFL team in terms of analytics uh, compared to the average MLB team? And the average response I got was 10 years. So I think that football is about a decade, maybe a shade under behind MLB. Are there, you know, there's a lot of challenging aspects. And I do think that there are aspects like, like you're talking about. I will say this, let me, I will say this, that when you talk about like, oh, what was someone's responsibility on that play? What was, you know, what was their role? What were they supposed to do? There's no question that you're right. Like that makes for a challenge in terms of player evaluation. But that is true, I think, if you're, no matter like what form of analysis you're doing, like if you are a a pro scout, you're looking at someone's potential free agent you could sign. Well, you're watching the tape, you're looking at that, but in the same way, you don't know exactly what their role or assignment is. Or, um, and so I think that that is a challenge, but it's, it's true no matter what. And I think, I think we can glean quite a bit from data analysis when it comes to football. What would you say, Seth, is, is the toughest? Because I, we were talking about, you know, offensive line and lots of times, you know, uh, you don't know if the guy's supposed to get a chip block from his mm-hmm. running back or the tight end's supposed to block. I feel like maybe offensive line play and then the other one, coverage, just because, you know, like you said, you don't know the rules and things like that. Are those two of the more tricky uh, metrics to, to measure? To me, safety is the position that is by far the most difficult. So, like, Offensive line, yeah, it's true what you say, but we have we now have pretty good player tracking metrics that can help us evaluate these guys on a on a down to down basis and see how long they can sustain their blocks. Corners, to some degree, yes, tricky because you have this kind of you know coverage responsibilities. But like a lot of times, a corner's job is just to stay with the man that they're with, and we know whether that player is targeted and whether they, they, they make the catch. And so box score stats hold like some useful value there, but safeties, it's like you're measuring almost like the absence of something, right? It's like their effect on a, on a given play can be, they can be so crucial and the ball can go nowhere near them, uh, but they can change everything just from their positioning and their reaction and what they're doing and their disguise. All of that makes it, really difficult so sometimes you have guys like Antoine Winfield Jr. and they just like blow up the box score and it's like very easy to see okay this guy obviously is having a huge impact but I think that there are other safeties that are are demonstrate a lot of value but it's really difficult to quantify yeah and you just touched on what I wanted to ask you and that is is there somebody that's an analytics star if you will that maybe doesn't appear that way to the the casual fan, or maybe the box score doesn't say that, but in terms of analytics, this is somebody who, who crushes it. Oh, definitely. There's, there's tons of those guys. I mean, I think, let's see. I mean, Brandon Ayuk certainly comes to mind for me. I'm not just saying that because of his insane catch yesterday. Uh, when we look at the numbers in terms of what we call open score, which is a receiver's ability to get open relative to expectations. So we're looking at, and regardless of whether they're targeted, this is a guy that year after year, really performs performs well. He also makes catches and generates yak relative to expectation um, as well. So, like, he's a guy. I think that 
Wow. Let's see. For a long time, Demarcus Lawrence was my answer to this question. He's older now, and uh, and this isn't true. But like we have, we have, there's players who get have a really high win rate, but they don't necessarily get the sacks. Will Anderson Jr. this year, the rookie, uh, he was a player like that who was beating his blockers at an incredible rate. The only players who beat his blockers, edge players, who beat their blockers as frequently as he did within two and a half seconds uh, were Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett. Those are the only two guys that beat him. Now, Anderson only got seven sacks, but he still was tremendously disruptive. And so I think, I think a guy like that matters a lot. I mean, there's tons of, there's tons of players, I think, who can – their value is somewhat hidden – uh, I don't know. Brian O'Neill, tackle for the Vikings, is a guy who consistently shows up as an elite pass blocker in our numbers, and and you know isn't usually considered like a star. Hey Seth, so who are some of the the teams that you think are embracing this the most? And whether it's a coach or coaches or a, a coaching staff that that really is is into it and maybe ahead of the game. Yeah, so I think. Well, it's interesting because I think you have good coaches, but then in front office, right? But the teams to me that are the most analytically advanced would be Cleveland, Baltimore, and Philadelphia. <clears throat> probably, in, yeah, I, I think that's that's right. I think Cleveland probably is, is number one in that area. I think you have other teams that are certainly more quantitatively informed. I think. Somewhat Minnesota we see. I think the 49ers to some degree in their front office, though they're like their game management is, is, is uh, one of the worst probably in the NFL. And um, I think uh, Dallas, Dallas has really made an investment in this area recently. So those are teams that I think stand out to me. Yeah, there's something of a difference where I would say you can be as an organization – quantitatively or embracing analytics. Like I would say those teams are, but doesn't fourth downs is just kind of one part of it. Like if you ask me just about fourth downs, I would say the lions are one of the best. Um, I don't think that they're on the same level as an organization in terms of like Cleveland. So you're saying the 49ers are one of the worst game managers in the NFL. Yes. Kyle Shanahan is, you know, maybe the best head coach in the NFL, the best play caller, uh, but, you know, I always joke, it's like the football gods, they said he was, you know, too good at all that. So they had to, like, make him forget that he could use four downs if he wanted to. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, is, as far as the Seahawks go, is, is there anybody on that roster that stands out in, in the way of analytics that maybe we're not giving enough credit to? Or or, well, or just know, who stands out, period, I, I should ask. Sure. Sure. It's fun. You know, it's funny because uh, I think people – have said Tyler Lockett has been underrated for like a decade. And I still think that somewhat this year aside, that that is true. Like I really, really believe that he has played such a huge role for that team. Uh, When we look at the advanced metrics and we look at his ability to, um, you know, get personally get open, make all those deep ball catches. Like we think of those like prime Russell Wilson, those new big passes that get caught by Lockett. And I think Lockett played such a big role in that. I do think that when Wilson left and Gino came in and had success, that the success of the receivers that the that the Seahawks have had uh, played a really big big role in that. They've had good receivers for a while. I mean, like you know, going back 
even even pre pre Metcalf, they've always had a couple of good players. Let's see who else on that roster. I mean, um, trying to think off the top of my head. Obviously, who would be underrated? Like tackles it, is Gino but, an underrated guy? Is is he a guy because he's very polarizing out here? Whether you know fans think he's horrible he's a backup others think he's the answer he's the franchise i mean is he's it's it's interesting the the perception of him out here but i'm curious what analytics say about him i think gino is rated you know i mean i think he's i think the reason why he's polarizing is because he's in the middle i think he's something like an average starter and that is that is okay that is better than a lot of teams have it's worse than a lot of teams have and that is yeah, that puts him in the middle. Oh, you know, okay, Boye Mafe. I mean, I know he came out with the sack, so it's like sort of an obvious choice. But, man, the beginning of the year, his advanced numbers were just like through the roof. And I was like, wow, this is really crazy. And then the sack started coming and people were like, oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's pretty, pretty, pretty legit. Seth, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like this. And I'm not going to ask you about every single player, but what about Bobby Wagner? Um, he, he's another one that has really good numbers, but then, you know, sometimes you see where, you know, the, the tackle will be downfield or things like that. Do you have anything off the top of your head with him? Cause he's, he's also a guy that we we've talked about just because he's getting on an age and whether or not they should resign him here. Yeah, that's a, no, that's a good one. I think linebackers well, are tough because you have this, uh, they contribute in all these different areas, right? You have to consider their run stopping, their coverage, and their pass rush. From a run stopping perspective, like we still had them ranked. We have a stat called run stop win rate, which is measuring a, a few different ways. Like it's obvious you can make a tackle close to the line of scrimmage. That's big, but it's not just that. Can you beat your blocker, uh, which might help the play, even if you're not the one who gets the tackle. So among linebackers, we had him 12th uh, this year. That's going to be like, you know, the most important. He's obviously been a, a guy who over – his career has performed really well in the coverage metrics. So off the top of my head, without looking, I think, I think he's maybe fallen off a bit um, there. Obviously he's like you said, a, a, a once elite player who is getting older. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, once again, sorry to do this, Seth. Listen, two guys we've been talking about a lot, Mike McDonald and Ben Johnson, both uh, coordinators, uh, defensive coordinator for the Ravens, McDonald, and then Ben Johnson over on uh, Detroit. Those are two of the, the top names that we've been talking about as far as a, um, as far as a head coach replacement here. So how do those guys rate? Well, it's, it's a really tricky question. Of course, here's what I would say. I think Ben Johnson makes sense as the guy, if, if I were a Seahawks fan and I were choosing which, which coach that I would want, I would want Ben Johnson because you look at this Lions roster and we think, and I, I look at that offense and, ah, man, you know, they have some, definitely have some good parts. They have some, you know, pretty good offensive line. Um, and Ross and Brown is a really nice receiver, but it's impossible, I think, to look at this and not say, wow, over the last couple of years, Johnson – has done a really nice job scheming up that offense, getting the most out of his players. And offense is the most important side of the ball. It's the most reproducible, most stable. So, yeah, I would be, I would absolutely want him first. I do think, though, that McDonald is a really compelling coach. So, like, if you said, 
one and two, that would be, if I were a Seahawks fan, who would I want? I would want Johnson one, McDonald two, and everybody else would uh, probably be below that. Um, Because what Baltimore did this year defensively, they had good players, but I have a hard time not looking at how incredibly they performed and also how well they performed against McVay Shanahan offenses. Like those, I don't have the number in front of me. I was saving it to use for, for the inevitable Ravens 49ers Super Bowl that, uh, <laughs> that didn't come. But I had this great stat about how much worse McVay Shanahan offenses were. So not just McVay and Shanahan, but the guys who came from, came from their coaching trees. Uh, how much worse those offenses performed against the Ravens and the fact that they were able to, I asked some, some folks about this and, and the way that they sort of like prioritized stopping the middle of the field, both through their personnel, but also the way they played, how thorough they were in terms of being able to um, make, ha- have played different wrinkles of those offenses uh, differently in terms of their own adjustments. So I think those are two really good options. And, yeah, I think it, it is certainly harder to go the defensive coordinator route. But if I'm going that route, I want someone who has shown an ability to kind of be a difference maker. And I think that McDonald has shown some evidence of that. And so I do think I do find him compelling as a coach candidate. He is Seth Walder, ESPN analytics writer for ESPN, of course. He's been our guest here with Wyman and Bob. Seth, really appreciate the time. Great conversation. And thanks so much. Thank you, guys. There you go. There's Seth Walder. For those of you texting in who really, really agree with him, uh, (laughs) analytics can be polarizing. They certainly can. All right. Coming up, there's a new debate that has taken over the NFL, and we'll weigh in on that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. Our thanks once again to Seth Walder, uh, ESPN analytics writer. Joined us in the previous segment, as a couple of texters said, Schlereth would have loved him. Mm-hmm. Hates his guts. <laughs> Hates him, never met him. Nice guy. He was very nice. He answered lots of our difficult questions. Yeah, some people get, got a little bunched up over what he had to say. One thing I didn't ask him, though. Do you know who the urinator is? Because <laughs> I just followed one in. That's not an bathroom. analytics question. That's a common sense courtesy question. You know, I, I was thinking of like Breaking Bad where, you know, you had the cop side and they had like a bulletin board with like the, the kingpin. And then there's like little pieces of yarn down to the three. Connecting below that. everybody. Then one guy's crossed out because we know it's not him. Or maybe he's doing it intermittently just to mess with us. That's what we need. I don't know what goes on here, Dave. I don't know who we're working with. We need just... to get a camera. Not, not yeah, in the bathroom. Yeah, let's put a camera in the bathroom. Good call, Dave. <laughs> outside the Dave bathroom. Dave Lyman wants to put a camera in your bathroom. <laughs> I was thinking about outside the bathroom, but you want to go with inside? That sounds Dude, good. Go Dave's on board with that, too. Whatever you yeah. need. <laughs> Whatever you need. Uh, meanwhile, one of the debates I saw on the heels of the games yesterday, Dave, was that there seems to be a strong debate going on among some of the talking heads that Patrick Mahomes is already ascended to and surpassed Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback of all time. What? Yeah, our guy Ryan Clark oh, um, tweeted out, Patrick Mahomes retires today. 
He's the best I've ever seen, and there's no conversation. He goes into the hall with no vote. It's almost laughable. We should stop critiquing regular season woes and struggles. Just wait until championship weekend and watch then. Mike Greenberg, this is the greatest run of Patrick... Patrick Mahomes' career, his team was the most vulnerable it's ever been. He had to face Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson on the road, and he's back in the Super Bowl. He's the best quarterback ever, and he's 28 years old. Emmanuel Acho, Patrick Mahomes really went to Buffalo and beat Josh Allen. Then he went to Baltimore and beat Lamar. This single playoff run proves Patrick Mahomes stands alone. There is none like him. He is not like his peers. They are, in fact, not even his peers. <laughs> so well, it puts you in a difficult position because now you're you're sort of like pump the brakes here, and then it sounds like you're being negative about Patrick Mahomes. He's had a fantastic start to his career. I mean, he's he's been playing for seven years, his seventh year, and he's been he's been fantastic. But come on, man! I mean, Tom Brady's done it for a long, long time, and you know, you look at uh, some of the differences. Let's go with nicknames first of all. TB12, Tom Terrific, Touchdown Tom, Goat, The Pharaoh. Haven't heard that one. The Pharaoh. Comeback Kid or Sir? <laughs> sir. I like that. Just Sir. And then uh, if you look at Mahomes, this is on uh, Pro Football Reference, by the way. I don't know why they put their nicknames in there. Grim Reaper, Showtime, Magic Man, The Musician, Fatrick, The Gunslinger, or Mahomeboy? Mahomeboy. Why, Fatrick. Why, why Fatrick? I don't know. Yeah, at one point. Yeah, it was. Uh, so as far as nicknames go, yeah, he's right up there. But um, but you look at you know, <laughs> I mean, boy. seven years, six time Pro Bowler, two time Super Bowl champ. He's been in the AFC title game every year. Yeah, he's been a starter it's, every year. It's unbelievable. So yeah, I mean, look, he's getting it done. That that throw he made and the athletic ability that he has, the one where he especially that he threw to Kelsey, where he's going to his left and falls down and. Kelsey makes a great catch. And you could I mean, say you could say the back shoulder touchdown catch on Hamilton in the corner was just as good, although he, with Kelsey? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were both Kelsey, but I mean, you also got Kelsey making some pretty good catches there. So I don't know. You know, he's he's pretty fan. I don't know if he's the equivalent of Gronk or or what, but yeah, I, I just think it's a little early, but it is pretty amazing what he has gotten done. Well, it, it's, yeah, he is, certainly has got talent. We brought up Kelsey, who may go down as the greatest ever. We'll find out. He's Kelsey surpassed Jerry Rice's postseason record for receptions yesterday. Yeah. He's got 152. The record was 151. Kelsey is now the owner. And he's been in how many games, did you say? Uh, 11? Well, that, that tweet was just his last 12 postseason games. Yeah. Um. I don't know how many total games he's been in. No, no, I mean, yeah, in the postseason, but just that he just marked his last twelve. Those were his numbers. He's, I mean, he's ridiculous. He's and Mahomes is he's the one that's got to get him the ball. So he just that combo is is lethal. It is ridiculous, and it's what got him on the board early. First and ten from the Baltimore nineteen. Shotgun Mahomes pump and throw to the end zone, handled by Kelsey for the touchdown. A rocket to the right side, and the Chiefs strike first. 19 yards, and it's that combination once again. Mahomes to Kelsey to get on the board first. Did you think at all it was going to be a shootout? Because the Ravens went right back down the field and answered. I'm like, oh, buckle up, here we go. Yeah. And it was anything but that. (laughs) The Chiefs, Chiefs didn't score in the second half. 
Yeah, I mean, it was. Ravens scored three in the second half. Yeah, I thought it was gonna it was gonna be one of those back and forth games, but yeah, that that throw right there. I mean, that has you can tell that they have probably practiced that. Now you're not doing that full speed, but as far as that catch goes, that back shoulder throw. I mean, that guy had no chance. Yeah. And you know, the other thing Kelsey did a really good job on is not pushing off there. Mm. He just like moved his arms basically. Because remember. Um, uh, who's our guy, Jack uh, Jackson, the wide receiver who got called for pushing off in Super Bowl Forty? Oh, Daryl Jackson, Daryl ja- D. Yeah. Jack. Um, yeah, I mean, he. I didn't think he pushed, but the way he moved his arms, right? And if you look at Kelsey, he's the master at that. He doesn't. He's really good at just like taking his hands from being on the receiver to just going and catching the ball. So, um, yeah. So I mean, he's he's a huge part of it, but. Patrick Mahomes, you know, I would just say you, you got a ways to go. If he does this, like, for the next couple of years, maybe maybe gets up to, like, year 10 or whatever, and then you'll go, yeah, yeah, I would say so. But, I mean, he does it in a much more spectacular fashion. I think that's, that's I think, what and, – and, you know, some of it's warranted. Like I said, I'm not just jumping all over Patrick Mahomes. I think he's a – I think you hate him. I think he's fantastic. <laughs> but And he makes, you know, spectacular plays. Brady – didn't really make spectacular plays. I he's guess. always made the right play. Yeah, it seemed like he just made the right play. He'd, well, t- he'd take the checkdowns and just just beat you to death with little seven yards here, five yards here, seven yards in dink and dunk you down the field. He wasn't elusive. He wasn't right. certainly not the most mobile guy you've ever seen not back there. But no. he just made the heady, smart plays. Well, and the the thing that I, I read about with Tom Brady is that he could come to the sidelines and tell you what. Every single person did. The receiver did this. The corner jumped him. So then he, you know, broke off his route to the outside. This guy did that. This, I mean, the whole thing. Like he just sees it, like the Matrix. Yeah, like he's Nemo. Yeah, you like that man? Neo. Neo. Nemo. Nemo's Nemo's the cartoon thousand leagues under the sea. (laughs) Yeah, or the fish that went missing. If you want to go the Pixar, Finding Nemo. I'm sorry that I included you in that. (laughs) He was the wrong one. Sorry to be included. (laughs) Neo. Yeah, Yeah. that was that was the wrong person to include on that. Everything. Um, I mean, this is their fourth Super Bowl in the past five years, so they're they're threatening a runs similar to the Patriots. I don't know that it'll match, but. You know, we'll see how many rings they end up with. It's a hell of a run that they're on. And he's he's 28. <laughs> he's 28 years old. I would say if you want to just comp- compare their, you know, what his his arm to Brady's arm and his his off-schedule ability compared to Brady, yeah, I'd say he's better. Yeah. He's you know, and Brady wasn't a cannon arm. He had a good arm. He wasn't a cannon arm and he did, like we talked about, he's not a mobile guy, but he made it work. And he was Brady was the guy that you could argue as a game manager, even though that's considered a slight, you know, when you talk about quarterbacks. But to me, a game manager is a guy who goes out there and takes what the defense has given you, makes the throws, doesn't kill you with turnovers, and it always kind of just makes the right decision. Yeah. I don't I don't look at that, even though it's meant as a slight oftentimes. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, okay, go out there, manage it. You don't turn the ball over. You're, you're, you are a plus for your team almost always. And that's who Brady was. He was he could throw the ball down the field, but that wasn't really his game. No. Yeah, I I, I think Mahomes is more fun to watch. Oh yeah. How about that? Yeah, without question. <laughs> but I mean, you look at what I remember calculating, I think he threw for like fifty seven miles or something like that in the <laughs> NFL. So yeah, it's uh 
it, 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 I think it's a little bit too early of a debate. And I know these are all ESPN guys, am I right, that we just quoted there? Uh, Greenberg, uh, let's see, who else? Ryan Clark, Emmanuel Acho. Yeah, I mean, either, you know, they're the the talking heads that they're supposed to say something uh, outrageous. Yeah. All right, coming up, uh, there's been a secret weapon to the Chiefs' success over the last few seasons. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. Madden Beaverton said, Dave found Nemo 10,000 leagues under the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> I feel That's like it gets it. I feel like the urinator is going to be like Kaiser Soze <laughs> in the usual suspects. Yeah, somebody that we'd never suspect. and never the think. They start walking normally and have a devious mind. I remember uh, Stern was interviewing Stephen Baldwin, who was in that movie. Yeah. And he said Arnold Schwarzenegger came up to him and says, I really liked your movie, The Unusual Suspects. <laughs> <laughs> the Unusual Suspect. That's awesome. But yeah, Kaiser Soze is going to be the urinator. He's amongst us. Somebody we're, somebody we're not giving a proper amount of attention to. We're yeah. just overlooking him completely going, well, we know yeah, it's not that no guy. There's no way it's that guy. It's, it's certainly these more obvious characters. Matt. How dare you? I will not stand for this assault on my character. <laughs> the Matt slander will not stand. Uh, one of the one of the secret weapons we've been talking about with this Chiefs' success over the last few seasons has been their defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo, former head coach. He's been a coordinator in multiple spots, and Dan Orlovsky uh, talking about him and and just you know he's he's one of those guys. Well, we we can we can uh, talk about it after the uh, the soundbite here, but. There's, he leads to a fear that I that I have when we're talking about some of these coordinators. <clears throat> but here's what Dan Orlovsky talked about Spagnolo and his ability to shut down that Ravens offense. I think Steve Spagnolo, defense coordinator, reminded us like I'm the best defense coordinator in the game. You can make the case he's one of the greatest playoff defensive coordinators in football. And I thought the plan he put together was spectacular. The way that they skunked Lamar in this offense. One, baited them into throwing the ball so consistently. Think about it this way. Two weeks ago, baited Buffalo into running the football all the time and then baited Baltimore into throwing the football all the time. And I thought he called the game, guys, like an offensive coordinator. All the different personnel groupings that he rolled out, five or six different ones. And then Lamar missed throws. I mean, every throw felt long. And I think you heard Romo on the broadcast say just a ball or, or a yard or two long on every single throw. The, the, the panic, the rattle, the unsettled nature of Lamar was different than any version that we had seen of Lamar this season. What about Spagnolo and what he's done? I mean, that Chiefs defense, I think, what were they ultimately second in the league this year, I think, behind the Ravens? I mean, you're talking about the two best defenses in all of football going up against each other. So it's not like he just pulled a rabbit out of the hat and they've been terrible all year and he put this together for one week. It's been who they've been. Yeah. He, he This is like his 17th different place, Spagnolo And uh, again, I did a thing on him a couple of uh, a couple of years ago, I think when they were playing the Niners and and how everything he did was just simple. Simple stuff, but he makes it sound simple and we've kind of heard that about Mike McDonald as well that he is one of those guys that um you know can just get everything down to where you just have one word and that means everything pretty much and everybody knows exactly what to do 
The only thing is, you know, Spagnolo. I mean, he's a great example of what I always talk about with Tom Catlin. Tom Catlin, great defensive coordinator. Everything made sense, but he was just so dry and just not. I mean, he. I hardly ever heard Tom talk, mm-hmm. except when he was talking about defense. And he knew he wasn't a head coach. You know, he's just he's just that kind of guy. And I think Spagnolo. I mean, at some point he was. I mean, he was in St. Louis. Yeah, he was there when I was there. Yeah, and it and wasn't good. Two thousand eight through eleven, I think, or nine. Yeah, yeah, um, so it's not good. Yeah, and then he's all. He also was a, an assistant with the with the Ravens back in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. So secondary coach actually in twenty fourteen. So um, I don't know if that means he knows more than than anybody else, but still, uh, I, I just feel like this guy has he's just been a very underrated type of uh, defensive mind. Does it give you uh, – because that's how I view him. I, I view him as a guy just – as a head coach. He just – whatever he lacks becomes a problem. He's just not a great head coach but a terrific coordinator. And we, we always bring up Joshy Boy, Josh McDaniels, is, is a perfect example of that. Everybody loves you know his offensive mind. The guy's an innovator. He always is, produces as a coordinator. He's been terrible as a head coach. It's just not what he does, whether it's his people skills or his communication. I don't know what it is, but it – prevents him from being a good head coach does that lead you to have any level of uh apprehension or give you pause when talking about these coordinators and and ben johnson and mike mcdonald sure yeah absolutely you don't really know i mean and hopefully john's asking the right questions too you know i I feel like you always just knew like you know talking to clint hurt I, i feel like clint hurt has that ability to be like a head coach you know he he just commands the room certain way the way he speaks the words he uses all that and um we don't know that about these guys and that's going to be the interesting part that comes out of this but you know just because you have a great mind for offense or defense uh kingsbury is a great example we watched it on on in season hard knocks it just he wasn't even trying he wasn't even trying. He wasn't like, hey, guys, everybody get together. I mean, you look at the difference between uh, a post-game locker room with him versus Dan Campbell. I mean, everybody's looking at Dan Campbell. He's got he's the voice in mm-hmm. there. And so one of these guys, and we hear Mike McDonald, somebody said that he's real quiet. And, you know, but maybe he's one of those guys like Chuck, because when Chuck would walk in the room, Chuck Knox, that is, he would walk in and everybody would be screwing around talking. The second he turned the corner to go to the front of the room, the place just went dead silent. And I remember my rookie year looking around going, what the hell just happened? You know, like, why? why how did that happen? It was, it was pretty amazing. So, yeah. Like one of these, dad walked into the room. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, uh, and if you didn't quiet down, he would give you that steely-eyed stare, you know, that you knew you were in trouble. So, yeah, I We'll see what – I don't know what kind of questions you would ask about that. You would have to kind of see these guys around their players, and that's that's another thing you're probably not going to get a very good look at. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll get a good look coming up, you know, opinion anyway from somebody uh, who's around the team. The voice of the Ravens will join us here coming up at the top of the hour. But, yeah, I think, you know, when I ask you, does it give you any any level of apprehension or give you pause? Yeah, but that doesn't – that doesn't change my opinion that these are your top two candidates. I would be happiest if you picked one of these two. Ben Johnson's my first choice. It's one and one A. It's Ben Johnson. Then it's Mike McDonald for me. And then everybody else. I feel. And listen, maybe somebody in this other group turns into a superstar. I have no Ajiro Evero or whatever. Maybe he turns out to be a stud. And we're going, dang, how did they? They should have picked him. You never know. 
you, you know, the only person we have any sort of history with as a head coach is Dan Quinn. Everybody else is a coordinator. You know, Raheem Morris has been hired, so he's off the board. How about if we get Dan Quinn as our head coach and these two as our coordinators? I'll take it. <laughs> I would take it. I'm, I'm guessing they wouldn't leave to be just, you know, lateral move. But Well, and also, like we talked about, I, I feel like anyway that it would be a waste of resources if you hired one of these guys and they're not running their side of the ball. Right. Ben Johnson on offense and Donald on, uh, McDonald on defense. All right. So what do we need to know about a potential in uh, Mike McDonald as a Seahawks head coach? Ravens broadcaster Jerry Sandusky will join us next. Give us some insight into Mike McDonald. That's coming your way next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.